Hello and welcome to an At The Flicks retrospective with Jeff and Graham. Way, way back in episode 57, we spoke to lifelong film fan Dingle about cinema going in the 1940s. Well, I'm delighted to say, in this episode, we're speaking to another lifelong film fan, Tony, about cinema going in the 1950s. Hello, Tony. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to uh, appear on our show. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the 1950s. Gosh. This yeah. is yeah. Go on. We've got listeners in in most countries, although we seem to have lost our Russian audience recently. I have no idea why. And <laughs> um, but we want to give them a flavour of what it was like to go to a British cinema in the 1950s. And you wrote a wonderful yeah, article yeah. on this recently. Yeah. And so I just want to. What was a trip to the cinema like then? I take it it'd be double bills, wouldn't it, rather than single features? Yes, indeed. Dub- double bills was the thing. The, the, the A film and the B film. Well, let's start with with where you grew up. How many cinemas were there? Well, I lived in Southampton. That was my home city, Southampton. I lived within, well, tram ride of one cinema and a walk to two of them. And uh, that's why I had three cinemas, ample chance to visit them and go and see the, whatever was on. To be honest with you, I was a sort of cinema guy who would go and see anything that was on because it was fairly cheap. One and threepence, one and sixpence, or something like that, which was pretty small. But um, it gave me the opportunity to see many films, most of which, of course, I've forgotten. Uh, but never mind, I had this opportunity to go to the local cinema on a regular basis and uh, sit there to watch two films, a news forecast or a news program, the Pathé News. Not many adverts in those days. And so it was pretty much go in, watch, and come out. But you could stay as long as you like. There was no sort of performance end out you go. So we just went in wherever you went and watched the two films and usually walked out when you got to the bit where you'd started. So that was in and out, really. Being a loner, as it was when I was fairly young anyway, um, I stayed and enjoyed the whole scene twice, maybe. Fantastic. So you say you had a choice of three cinemas. What was your favourite of the three? The local one, which was called the Savoy. It was built just before the war. It's a fairly modern-looking building. It's, it's now been demolished. It's a garage or something. But um, that was my local, and that was the easy walk one. And it was quite pleasant inside. I'm probably jumping a sort of a, a couple of years here because I can remember going there to smoke. I was a smoker at the time. You know, cigarettes were cheap, and you had to look pretty big. You know, you had to look like an American gangster or something like that. <laughs> and they were all smoking or whatever. And when I joined the insurance company I worked for, this was the done thing. We'd all, all the men smoked. In the office, wherever you were, you smoked. And, uh, you know, it got a bit thick sometimes, but there you go. But that sort of thing. So I, the cinema side of it was that uh, my local was the Savoy. So did you ever have a problem with too much cinema smoke in the cinema? I wasn't really aware of it because, you'd, you know, on the, the rays from the uh, giving the picture, you, it, the smoke would hover and it was a move around a bit. The rays would be caught in that. And it's part of the cinema experience, if you like, just watching the smoke. A really strange <laughs> business, but there you go. Must be brilliant for a horror movie. Yes, the mist is coming out of the screen, yes. Yeah, there was a certain amount of coughing involved, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said it was one shilling and sixpence. That would be seven and a half pence. 
in, well, yeah, in modern just, well, as you, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you'd have to transpose it to that. But yeah, it, it was cheap, really. I mean, when I was 16, that's when I started work with Eagle Star Insurance Company. And my you know, wonderful salary is £135 a year. And after tax, national insurance and everything else, uh, and it worked out about £2, 10 shillings a week. But going to a cinema at a shilling a time was good. From that point of view, you know, I, I was, as I say, I was a bit of a loner. Um, and therefore, I could quite happily go to a cinema wherever it was, you know, the, the three main ones I had. But um, I, I was always able to go at a fair, fair price. What was the attendance like? Was it very busy? Depends. If there was a wet day, more people went in. I think you bet at the rain. But it was quite steady. I mean, being a local cinema, I suppose the other entertainment was probably the pubs. But essentially, um, they were always pretty well filled, you know. Sundays was another thing. Can I just throw that in? There was a Sunday performance of two different films altogether. So there was a chance of seeing, you know, that number of films in a week. Monday to Wednesday was the two, two features. Thursday to Saturday was another two. And Sunday was an entirely different program. So, in fact, you know, cinema going was easy, cheap, and uh, you know, it was always something on which was slightly different. Okay. Incredible. So, you've gone in, you've got your pack of cigarettes, you're, you're sitting in your seat, first feature comes up, usually, what, about 90 minutes? Yeah, the main film would probably be just over the hour, hour and a half, something like that. The B feature was, you know, usually a cowboy one or a sort of mystery one. There's a chap called Edgar Luscarton. I don't know if he's ever cropped up as far as you're concerned. He was like, give Scotland Yard, what's say, mysteries and that sort of thing. So it was a fairly short follow-up. But you'd get the news in the middle normally, that sort of thing. But yeah, an hour, hour to hour and a half, certainly. And, and to some extent, there were mainly American films. The British film industry was pretty good on the comedy side and all the rest of it. But we do get an awful lot of cowboy films, Tarzan films. If you go there, you took what came. Yeah. So uh, you used to go out to the cinema, you know, oh, oh, oh never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess at that time... you thousand, be... thousand impressions, you know. <laughs> oh, no, carry on. Yeah. Uh, I guess at that time we, you, we're in the heart of the Ealing comedies and you talk about British comedies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Passport of Pimlico was one. Uh, the Lady Killers, yeah, Passport. Oh, that, that, that's still my favourite uh, film uh, in a way because it, it, the, the Lady Killers... There's, um, there's a piece of music in it by Boccherini, Boccherini Quintet. And that's still one of my favourite pieces. I hear that and I'm, I'm moved back to the Lady Killers. And it was one of our, Alec Dennis's best films. But Peter Sellers, as you probably know, was in it, yep. um, of, the, of The Goons, etc. But yeah, that's one of my favourite films, and that was an evening comedy. And they were quite, you know, quite good. Uh, the other one, I think, whether it's an evening comedy, I don't think it is actually, was um, Three Men in a Boat. I don't think that was an evening comedy, but they were very, very good English-type comedy. It was very, very funny, very sort of wordy in a way. But um, the colour of those days, because remember, a lot of type colour, a lot of films in those days were black and white. Yeah. Yes. And so colour was quite good, and the colour sometimes was a bit dodgy. I think it was Eastman colour or something like that. 
but sometimes the color was absolutely brilliant, you know. It almost compete with modern sort of colors, but uh, yeah, when it was a color cinema, we had a little bit of, you think, oh, this is good, you know, and so we went on. But black and white was pretty good. And as the 50s went on, you had the, the Hammer Horror films, which were really striking now, I, with their use of colour. I, I, I was never never a horror fan. You know, horror films were there, but, I mean, people still watch horror films, etc. But I've never been a fan of horror films. Uh, I, I don't know why, but um, there we go. That's one of those things. There are certain things you, you like and certain things you don't like, but horror films, for the sake of it, no, I didn't really like it. So you're in the cinema, you've got this double bill. What type yeah. of films would really be up your alley? Well, at, at the early stages, almost anything, because I got this sort of habit, if you like, I mentioned it in my article, but when you go in, you watch the film and you think, well, what, what's that guy wearing? Why is he wearing that? What's he different to the... And I started to look at changes of fashion appearing in films. You know, the working class man, you've got a, something twigged around his neck and he had to wear a cap. And that sort of thing, you know, and they became very typecast in a way, not not the actors themselves, but the, the actual sort of showing them. So I, I really started to watch what was different, you know, cowboy films and things like that. And the changing style of cowboy hats was quite remarkable. A chap called Tom Mix was an early cowboy back in the 30s, whatever. He wore a very tall hat, you know, yeah. which wouldn't have been much good if you're sort of riding a horse at 30 miles an hour or whatever, you know. But on the other hand, cowboy hats changed, as they still do, of course. They become more slick and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I watched fashions. I looked at uh, transport. I looked at to the fact that if you're in a big city, you hardly ever see a car. Police could drive up and down, park where they like. Things that, you know, you can't believe today. But I used to watch things like that. Take it from there, he said, laughingly. Well, uh, well, you take a film like The Blue Lamp, out of which came Dixon and Doc Green. Oh, yeah, yes. Evening all, evening yeah. all. And, and, and there's, yeah. you know, one where it was quite shocking because a policeman was shot was shot on screen. Absolutely. I, I mean, that, that was really was a bit of a shocker, as they say. But, um, yeah, Blue Lamp was, I think that was the start of his career, believe it or not, before he became PC Asia father. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I was trying to think, go back to um, film, it's a bit later than that, because it was the 70s, I suppose. Oh, what a lovely war. And it was filmed, I moved to Brighton in the late 70s, late 60s, and uh, that film was filmed on the West, uh, West Pier, which is now a crumbling wreck. But um, that was a very interesting film, you know, but uh, I watched it being filmed. I used to go down every lunchtime and watch them filming on the pier. And when it came out, it was just quite amazing, you know, taking war as a sort of a big song and dance, literally. But the big thing that appealed to me on that film was the end series, and they were showing all the, the grave crosses. Yeah. And they were actually physically put into the ground. There wasn't any of this you know, CGI business and all the rest of it. You could actually sort of, somebody had to go out there, and, and they were in immaculate lines, you know. Bits in every film I saw, I was taking notes, mental notes, of, of what I'd seen, you know, and um, as I say, gangster films, the 30s, the roaring 30s, and they came up well. Uh, but life wasn't really like that in this country, in a way. I saw a film called Kez. I don't know if you remember Kez. Oh, Kez, yeah. The, uh, yeah. yeah. The Kestrel. Yeah, and, uh, you know, things like, I did enjoy North Country, where, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
who were quite rugged likes. And the, the Sporting Life was one that struck me as an interesting film. It's just one of those things. No, but there's an interesting transition. You, you talk about how people behaved. You talk about the British working class in the early yeah. 50s. And then when you get to the end of the 50s, you get in films like Look Back in Anger. Films generally became you know, more what I would call realistic. Yeah. Um, like French films were like cinema verite. And uh, I, I loved foreign films, of course, which had to have a, a language underneath telling you what they're saying. But I did like, in the early days, in the 50s again, Poland produced some really rugged stuff, you know, in a, in a devastated country. And the French were a bit more romantic. And uh, I didn't see many German films, I must admit. And um, that was it. Gott in Himmel. Yeah. I didn't see any <laughs> German films. <laughs> Italian films were, again, interesting, but mainly black and white, as you might imagine. Yeah. Because you had to produce them like that. I think the odd Japanese film came out, but they were a bit different again. So we, we didn't really worry too much about the Japanese in the 50s, I suppose. We, Seven but, um, Samurai was a 50s Japanese film. Yeah, Samurai, yeah. And that was, well, I'm trying to think, that, that was well, interesting, I'm going to say, I suppose. We had a lot of Germans in the 50s in films like Ice Cold in Alex, and <laughs> yep. The Cold It Story, The Dambusters. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, there was a whole... You know, we were sort of reveling in our superiority for a while, as you probably know. The Malta story, I think, uh, what's his name, Guinness again. Um, yeah, they were all there. John Mills' film I saw was um, uh, Dunkirk. And yes. I think that's, that's a better film than the more recent Dunkirk. John Mills was very good. And it, it was black and white, of course. Richard Attenborough was in it. And uh, that was a very, very good film, I thought. Yes, you know it was under, understated, but it was the true British spirit, if you know what I mean. But a trivia about it: it was directed by Leslie Norman, who was uh, Barry Norman's dad. All right, mm, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Barry Norman. Yeah, it's cinema man. Yes. Yeah. Is, is he is he passed away now? He, has, he has, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I, I I was pleased to able to meet him on a couple of occasions. A lovely guy. All right. Yes. But, yes. He had a good television manner, as it were. He was. You know, a good communicator, wasn't he? Very good communicator. Mm. I want to go back to what you were saying about sort of attitudes and the way people were represented in the 50s, and we spoke about how it changed. But one of the things that always strikes me, and they were mainly filmed in the 50s, and I'm talking about the first four carry-on films, you know, carry-on yeah. sergeant, carry-on nurse, yeah. and I thought they were very good at capturing what people expected of British society. Whether that was true, I don't know. But their representation, I, I find quite fascinating. Before it become all total postcard humour, I, I, I thought there was something about it. What are your thoughts on them? Well, I, I like the Carry On series. I mean, I've got my favourites. I think Carry On Dick was one. <laughs> carry On Up the Carry On Up the Kyber. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was I was National Service myself, so in the film Carry On Sergeant, whatever he was. It was pretty good, you know. I mean, the, the same sort of attitudes then and the, the people that were in there because they had to change the whole attitude because at 18 years of age, you've reached the age when normally you go on to early 20s or so. But it does change you. It changed me. If you've never been doubled up before, if you've never lost your breath laughing, we warn you it could happen now. Get your hair cut in the morning. As you watch a bunch of physical jerks, a proper shower of misbegotten misfits who never miss a trick. Now, I'm a quiet, reasonable, humane man. I know. My mother told me. 
Oh, yes, I had a mother and a father, even though I'm a sergeant. You know, I was a sort of a boyish when I went in, and I came out, I was an, just a bit of an older boy, that's it, really. <laughs> but uh, the Carry On series, I thought, were very, very funny. People queued, as you might imagine, to go and see them on a Saturday night. They'd be queuing round the block. And, oh, wow. and, it was, and those films, I think, took about three weeks to shoot, and I think their incomes were pretty low at the actors, but they were just... You know, they knew the film. They could almost do it without rehearsals, you know. A carry-on films I did enjoy. I thought that was really very funny. We, we roared with laughter. And it was all double meaning, as you call it, du blanc tendre. Yeah. And uh, that was it. And uh, I, I mean, <laughs> the one about the nurse, isn't it? And yeah. um, Bernard Breslau has passed away. I think his name was Ivor Biggin. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. You notice, and, you know, it, it's just so funny, really. Mr. Bigham, yeah. and I mean, he just daft, and, and then it goes on and on and on. But yeah, the Carry On series, I suppose it did wane a wee bit. Some of the regulars passed away as well, but generally speaking, it was good for a laugh, which of course is an entertainment. And for you know, one and six or two shillings a time, you couldn't argue with that. No, but we've mentioned a couple now of people, actors, and groups of actors that came out of radio and came on to onto cinema. Would you seek those out, you know, like the Peter Sellers or the Kenneth Williams who made their name on radio? Well, I, I saw Peter Sellers on stage, actually, in the late 40s. He was an impressionist at that time, comedian. Okay. But, um, you know, he gave rather strange as he went on. And then he became, you know, a bit of a follower of the ladies, I suppose, you know, to his downfall. But Kenneth Williams, I think, was really amazing, I suppose, with Kenneth Horn, yes. Hornorama and stuff like that. I mean... I've got that sort of humour. I, I laugh at the silliest of things. But um, it was quite, quite clever, really. And I still, I don't want to watch a radio program. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever watched that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. I've watched six recordings of it. I was up in Nottingham the other week, and I watched it in, in the Nottingham uh, Big Theatre, their Royal Theatre Royal, whatever. It was a recording in the latest 70th series of I'm Sorry, I Haven't a Clue. And a lot of that humour, of course, almost comes out of carry on whatever it was, you know. Unfortunately, most of the contestants passed away now, many years, of course. But um, yeah, but that sort of thing appeals to me. But I suppose I like a laugh. Yeah, carry on series, I think I did enjoy that, I've got to be honest. But I do like the Bond series, but I think the early Bonds came out in the 60s, didn't they? 62, like yeah. Yeah, Doctor yeah, No was 1962. But, yeah, Thunderball and whatever. But I mean, that that to me... It is a very good film, believe it or not, as it were, it's all made up, but it, I thought that was very good. And I watched, you know, hopefully to see anything in there that I could not seen before. But um, the, the Bond series were very smooth, weren't they? The, the Bond actors are very good indeed. But um, that's another series, I suppose. Back in the 50s, what you had was spectacle. You had films like The Robe, Ben-Hur, you know. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. They were all of a muchness in a way. They sort of carried on the robe, as you say, and Ben Hur, all the cast band wallop ones, and uh, all trumpets and everybody that sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, you yes, know, you know, none of nobody was playing. They were just standing there blowing. You know, and that was it. Really, how <laughs> the hell they were doing all that, I don't know. Well, actually, my our, our, my second son, he's in the band of the Irish Guards, trombonist. So he was on parade Monday. Uh, changing of the guard in 40 degrees in London. So he said it was pretty hot. Wow. Religious-type films. 
Yeah, they, they went down a, a treat because they usually had a rather glamorous gay, a lady involved. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. you know, the big Victor Mature series, you know, people like that, you know, showing off their muscles and whatever. But yeah, that, that, that was a sort of a format which did quite a test of time in a way, but they were big ones, weren't they? Did they have to modify cinemas? Because some were in CinemaScope, that huge wraparound. Yeah, the big screen came in. I remember that, yes. The screens were pretty basic to start with, but then they, you know, in large screen. And this thing would roll back, and you think, goodness me. And it was a big screen. That was in, I mean, it was so so vast, you know. It, it would have, anybody of impressionable age, like my grandfather, for instance, wouldn't have understood it, of course, but that's beside the point. But yet they went had to do that. Cinema uh, and Technicolor, all these colors. Eastman Color was another one, I think. And all these things came in. And uh, I suppose we just absorbed them because they were there to be seen. But, yeah, certainly the screens got bigger and bigger, I must admit. What about 3D in the 50s? That was another thing that came along. Did you get to see any of those films? Well, there was a 3D cinema opened up in Bristol a few years ago, and it closed very quickly. And I, I did see a couple of more or less testing sort of things. I never saw a genuine 3D film. Never, it didn't really appeal to me to sit there in these glasses. If you've ever seen the audience reacting to things appearing to be flying towards them with the glasses on, it looks quite strange, actually. Destination Moon, he says, coming up. That's an old film, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah, one of the first serious science fiction films. That was quite interesting because that was going into space, which is Journey into Space with um, the BBC. But yeah, Destination Moon, again, it had lots of things in it which are finished up as reality, you know, the, yeah. the gravity situation and things like that. But So there was a bit of a series on that. The Americans normally led on that sort of thing, typical. <laughs> and um, I'd say, I brought up, sort of, Tarzan was a, a regular thing, of course, but I, I think I mentioned in my article, I never went to one Saturday cinema, and um, I didn't like it because it was too noisy. And that was it, you know. So I didn't really see much of Tarzan, but every week you get one of these wonderful series things. What's going to happen next week? Blah, blah, blah. So that was it, really. But um, what the trailer thing was quite interesting. What's coming, you know, important. So we used to take notes of that. But generally speaking, because I was only three cinemas away from home, uh, I would go anywhere so to see anything, really. I want to go back to Destination Moon, for me, because... Graham and I have just been working with the BBC on a, on a series on science fiction films. And the 50s were a very special time. You had Destination Moon, The Thing, Day the Earth Stood Still, Forbidden... Uh, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet, thank you. Yeah, Mark. yeah, yeah. Robbie, the robot. Well, yeah, That's right, yeah. yeah. He was in there somewhere. Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously caught, caught the imagination because, it, you know, with, with thank you to... Um, a German scientist who produced the rockets we came over. Um, I mean, it was an amazing game. And, and the world was our oyster as well. So were other worlds, you know. We were trying to sort of say, we'll go to Mars one day. Well, that was out of, you know, I couldn't imagine that. But I've always had a sort of fertile imagination. And to me, all these things were quite possible. Yeah. Because I'm not a scientist, you see. I couldn't see the downside to this. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of the films were very interesting and i think they probably encouraged certain people to go to that road in uh, what should i say in their work you know scientists you're actually going to go somewhere and do something and so to that extent yeah i suppose that was interesting but yeah destination moon i think was the, the big one at the time and and then of course later in the 50s sputnik went up 
and that caused a bit of a stir and reflected in the films. Oh, yes, Sputnik. There isn't a Russian football team called Sputnik United, is there? No, it's a Russian TV channel, no band. Yes. Oh. <laughs> no, that, that, that's another word. I see. We, I don't think we ever saw a Russian film. Polish was very good. I'm coming back to that because it was like cinema verite in Polish as opposed to French. But I just like French films. I say my favourite actress is Brigitte Bardot, covered with a Frenchman. He married three of the best-looking women ever. Jean-Paul Belmondo? Maybe, maybe not. Not quite like that. Roger Vadim? Yeah. It could have been, couldn't it? Yes, because yeah. he married um, Jane Fonda amongst amongst one of his wives. Yeah, that seemed, yeah, seemed quite a normal thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. For the French, yeah. For yeah. The French yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did enjoy those sort of things. One thing I find difficult to say, because I had got married, um, well, I got married and divorced, but got married again, and had sort of four children over the time. And when you've got children as a family... You can't go rushing off to the cinema just as you fancy it. And therefore, I sort of slowed down a bit in that sense, you know. So I lost the cinema-going habit. The last few years, though, I've been selecting films that I would like to go and see, and I've become a bit of a critic even on the so-called best films, you know. I wasn't ever a critic. I just used to note things as they were happening. And that the changes in society, changes in models of cars, you know, and things like that, yeah, and um, to that extent, cinema changed dramatically. I think over the years, and nowadays we almost accept anything. I see, and I don't know whether who goes in and checks on who's wearing what. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Speaking about French films and Polish films, and I understand yeah. the cinema that you saw a lot of those in was called the Continental. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. It was a, it was a chain. Uh, it was all over the country. I think. Because most places I've been, there's been a continent. There was a continental cinema, quite small, but they were all over the place. So you could, you know, get your fill of continental films. Um, one thing that always surprises me about television. I mean, we never see foreign films there anymore now. I suppose there's a channel. I've only got a very basic system, as it were, but we don't see good foreign films. You know, even with dubbing or anything like that. So we just don't get French films, German films, anything at all. We're just fed this sort of diet of American stuff, good as it may be in some areas. But, you know, we were fed a bit of an American um, diet back in the 50s. I'm pretty sure about that. Cable and Indian, of course, that was always the big one. Um, Yeah, well, Westerns in the 50s, again, another golden era. You went from films like High Noon, The Searchers, Rio Bravo. The Searchers was a good film, I thought. You know, when I saw it, they produced them of quality in that sense, you know. But I did like Spaghetti Westerns. Now, that, when was the first one produced? In the 60s? It was, yes. So they, they'd been around for a couple of years, and then um, yeah. they offered James Coburn a part in Fistful of Dollars, and he turned it down. But he recommended right. Clint Eastwood, and the rest, as they say, is history. This short cigar belongs to the man with no name. This long gun belongs to the man with no name. This poncho belongs to the man with no name. Don't you want to see me? One of my favourite films is The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, and I like the theme tune to it. 
Um, this chap is just the Italian guy who's just died. But um, that, to me, it was, an, it was an anti-war film. But when I watched it, I didn't really realise it was an anti-war film. But, you know, those people who know these things, the good, bad, and the ugly to be a, a war film, because that series sequence, uh, when they're trying to attack the bridge, Yes. If you remember that sequence. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and they were hiding. And, uh, and when he woke up in the morning, as it were, they'd all gone. Yes. Because the bridge had been blown up and whatever. And it stopped. And that was it. But I thought that was an excellent film. I got the, the disc at home. And I do watch it periodically because uh, I think it's brilliant. And I think their cast, I think they made it obviously in Europe somewhere, I suppose. But they look so rugged, the Italians and the actors. They look really rough guys. You know, they had to be made up. They weren't looking rough, you know, cross-eyed and all sorts of things like that. And uh, But, yeah, I thought that was a super film. Eli Wallach yes. and... Um, what's it? Uh, uh, Lee oh. Van Cleef. Yeah, one of my favourite actors. He was in a couple of good ones. Of game. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef, one of my favourite actors. Yeah, that... um, yeah. But the film itself was good. That that sequence where Eli Wallach's running through the graveyard yeah. oh, and God. that no, music and the background, the background music, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes, incredible. He's, he's looking for this grave and he finds the grave, but of course, as you probably all know, it was buried in the next grave. Yes, yeah. They were digging away, digging away, and that was it. Now, the shootout was quite good at the end, and uh, then of course he left him sort of hanging up on this post with a noose round his neck, and uh, there you go. <laughs> Again, I did like the spaghetti westerns generally. That was a really good sort of genre of film, I think. So, after all this cinema going, what would you say are some of your favourite films, other than The Good, The Bad and The Ugly? Yeah, I've given that some thought in a way, but I think I've covered them in my sort of thing. You know, comedy I like. I do like comedy. I like um, Norman Wisdom films used to make me laugh. I mean, he's very, he was very famous. I know he's passed away now. He did get a knighthood, though. And uh, he finished up as a hero in Albania. Yeah, that is bizarre. <laughs> but, that is. I don't. I don't know this story. Oh yeah, he's huge. I mean, he's got a fat statue there in uh, yeah. the capital of Albania, Tirana, yeah. I think it is. Yes, Tirana. And uh, you know, but he was just so visually funny. And there was a program, believe it or not, last night on the radio, where his son was talking about his dad. And uh, you know, he really was a strange character in a way, but he was a really good dad. But he had to be everywhere, you know. And even when he went up to collect his award with um, the front of the Queen, he did his famous tripping up series, and that <laughs> that brought the house down on the night, you know. But yeah, he, he was very good. So I mean, anything with Norman Wisdom in it, because he was quite a good singer as well, a very distinctive voice. Because mm. um, a lot of people, you know, wouldn't have sung at that rate. They got somebody in to do the job. But um, there we go. I did like, as I say, Three Men in a Boat. I thought that was. Purely, I mean, it was written, believe it or not, the book was written about 1880. Yes, Jerome yet, K. Jerome, yes. Jerome K. Jerome, and you know, when it was transposed to film, right, you know, it could have been up to date in that sense. It was obviously dated, but he wrote that really funny film, a uh, funny book, 1880s. Yes. And it was just so funny. Everybody's smoking a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Even Montmorency, the dog. <laughs> yes. But no, it was, it was interesting. So... 20th century, generally, you know, and well, 1950s, 60s, I, I, as an individual and a loner, as I say, I, I go there by myself. Funny enough, I'll just tell you one thing. I, I sort of fell in love at the age of 16. <laughs> He's still laughing at me. Uh, in, the, in the office, and I didn't know how to ask a girl out to the cinema. So I wrote a note, folded it up neatly and left it on her desk. 
And I got a reply. Yeah. Yes, she came, honestly. Lovely girl, you know, too good for me. But, you know, I went there and I, I think I saw a film called The Tender Trap. I'm not sure. But um, there you go. But that, that was one of my, I, I was very shy, as yeah. you might imagine. I still am in many respects. We're glad you're opening up on this. This yeah. is a real insight into to what cinema going was like. But coming more up to date, you say you, you still check films out. In the last few years, has anything impressed you? Uh, well, I liked um, Bridge of Spies. Oh, yes. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks, yeah. Did yeah. you see that? Yes, yes. yes yeah, really. very good. I thought that was a super film, to tell you the truth. I liked Tom Hanks. He was in, he was in Big as well, wasn't he? As yes. A comedy. Yeah. yeah. But that's one of, also, that's one of my children's favourites, Big. There also was one with the Norsemen. What was that one called? Um, Kirk Douglas uh, film, The Vikings. The Vikings, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, my son cries when he sees that, and he's 43 and in the army. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the way it is, you know. It, like, people were quite heroes there, and uh, that was that, really. But, um, yeah, they was, that was pretty good indeed. But, but so, another film with a great music score. I saw 1970, 1917. Yeah. I wasn't impressed with that. Now, I'm not being a critic as such. It was, it was too coloured in the sense there wasn't a nitty-gritty bit of it. You know, it, it wasn't sort of modern, too artificial, I thought. Beautifully filmed, but, you know, didn't catch what would have been there, you know? I mean, the filming was done by a guy who was following them around. It was real, real yes. live cinemizer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I don't, didn't didn't go with that too much. Say James Bond films, I t- tended to like just because they're James Bond, I suppose. Have you, have you but, seen the uh, most recent one? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, that was a bit again being put back a bit, isn't it? And yeah, I haven't been. I could have actually. I think it's come and gone. But one cinema locally that produce, you know, does bring them back on a frequent basis. Just get in touch with them, and you know, just find out when they're showing that film. Uh, oh, the other one I did enjoy years and years ago is Battle of Britain. Oh, good I film, that, yeah. That, that was, you know, quite a good film. Well, a good film, of course. But um, Battle of Britain, it comes up on television, as you probably know, quite often. And there are some films that do appear. One of them was Sahara, I think, in the Battle of, in the Desert. Um, Frank Sinatra was in that, I think. Okay, it's that's one I, I must admit, that's one I haven't seen. No, you've, yeah. you've, you've got me stumped oh, yeah, on that one. Yeah, he's, um, what's they say, they're in the Sahara, he's in a tank, and uh, the Germans are, you know, doing what they do. And uh, But that was it, yeah. Interesting, that. But, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra, he'd be an interesting guy, wouldn't he? Because he came up with some, you know, reasonably good performances in films, and the excellent singer, my son, liked, liked his style, although he was a young, young trombonist then, but he, he did like uh, Glenn Miller, but he played it so much as a youngster, he doesn't like it now. <laughs> right. Going through it, going through it, like the uh, yeah, Glenn Miller story and that sort of thing. But yeah, that was an interesting, like, a lot of music came out too from America, didn't it? Big yeah. bands and stuff like that. I'm just thinking on that, what's that Frank Sinatra World War film where he's running for the train at the end? Oh, oh v- right, Von, yeah. Ro- Von Ryan's Express. 
Yeah, Von, yeah, Von, Von, is it Von Ryan's Express? Yeah, Von Ryan's Express. Von Ryan, yeah. yeah. And he's running along after the train and he gets shot. Yeah. And he can't quite make the, yeah. the handrail of the last guy. Yeah, I mean, that, that was an interesting film. What's the one with the, uh, the, the Guns and Navarone? Guns and Navarone, another good one. Uh, sequel to that, yeah. Force 10 from Navarone with Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't quite the same, but Guns uh-huh. and Navarone was quite good. But yeah, that was quite good. You know, a bit of, on the modern cinema, because what you've got is this all-round sound. Yes. And yet you don't really notice it in a sense because it's all-round sound, you know. Yeah. Normally the, the screen would be the place where you listen from the screen, you know. We don't get the smoke in the uh, whatever it is now. <laughs> Your own special <laughs> effects. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can do what you like. Um, organ playing was quite interesting in the 50s. I mean, a lot of the big cinemas had the you know, organ that came up. You know, with a chap inside it, and away you went. You suddenly got things like um, ice lollies and ice creams. Going back to that time then, Tony, the newsreels, how often were those updated? Uh, like the newsreels were, were regular things. They'd be too... You know, it depends what you were doing. If you were doing something major like the war, they'd come out sort of every fortnight or something like that. It depends what was going, but towards the end of the war, you know, they were pretty good. I mean, I, I only went a few times. Mum used to take me, because this round the corner. And one night we were coming home, but it must have been about six or seven then, just before the end of the war. And then somebody must have set light to a barrage balloon. So we're walking home and all of a sudden this brightness in the sky and there's a barrage balloon, which had obviously blown up, you know, for falling to the earth. But um, that was probably one of my wartime experiences. But uh, the cinema got me to see that, you know. But uh, your Pathé News was very... Very, I mean, it was obviously very good. It was filmed by wonderful camera people who would, you know, be in, in situ or wherever they were. And especially, you know, things that were quite unexpected, you know, b- gun battles and things like that. And of course, you know, there were films that, which probably the government would allow to be seen. But, um, you know, generally speaking, Pathé News, as it was called, I don't what. I didn't quite know, know what Pathé was, but it, it was the news producers, you know, excellent film, which means I think the photographers were really, really very good guys, you know. Yeah, it's incredible that they were able to film these things from, from almost the front lines and then get it back to the cinema within a week or two, get it all yeah. produced and production oh, yeah. and edited oh. and, and duplicated. Yeah, the production line at that time, you know, bearing mm. in mind what the country was going through, was really very, very good. And, um, you know, the, a lot of the guys, I suppose, went on to go into film generally. Mm. But um, the technology required for that at that time was unbelievable, really, I suppose. But they did it. They, you know, they did it. And Americans were very good at that as well, especially out in the, the Far East, you know, in the islands, yeah. uh, hopping and that sort of thing. I mean, that was quite remarkable. There's quite a few films played about that. Um a Torah, Torah, Torah was the uh, big one, wasn't it? The Japanese invasion of uh, wherever it was. Pearl Harbor. Mm. Hawaii and things like that. I suppose I watched quite a few of those in a way. But the Yanks were always the Yanks. You know, they were interesting <laughs> characters. They always seen them a bit more than anybody else. But uh, they were only young boys. You know, going back uh, just briefly, 1944, as a young lad, I was six. And... Uh, used to see the Americans were coming to this country before they went to France. And uh, they were piling up in Southampton and all the guy, the young guys, what amazed me, I was six, but they, these chaps in the army, you know, they appeared so young. And of course they were, they were only 18, 19, 20. 
and they had their tanks and their lorries and everything, guns and everything. I was sent to hospital with pneumonia, and when I came out, they'd all gone. <laughs> and that, that was quite sad, you know. Yeah. But I do remember in the hospital, looking out the window when the aircraft went over, towing gliders, you know, which would have been the backup to the first invasion, that sort of thing. So what you were watching were, then was the part of the invasion of Normandy in 44. Yeah. Yes, and, and the American guys, the young men, the colour bar was very very much there. Um, you know, there were black units, normally officered by whites, and uh, that would be that. The blacks didn't really get the credit. They had different prisons uh, in this part of the world, near Bristol, and that sort of thing, you know. And uh, But I was too young to know why and what, if you know what I mean. We, we were... We never talked about it, but we didn't know about it, you see. Yeah. But mainly, guys, main, mainly white guys, but uh, the blacks, got, again, they got a, a pretty raw deal on it. You know, they were given the rough jobs. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, that's true today, I suppose. It's society, isn't it? And we used to go to these American guys, young lads, and say, got any gum chum? You know, got any gum chum? And they shower you with bits of chewing gum. Bubble gum, which of course is a miracle to anybody, you know. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you're blowing a bubble when it bursts, you know, it goes all over the place, all over your face and everywhere. But they were so good, at, you know, when when they were, well, my father was in the post office and, you know, when they were going abroad and that's sort of thing, they knew they wouldn't need certain things. They just threw them onto the dockside for the men who were down that end, you know. Very, very generous people they were, the Americans at that time. But they didn't know what they were going into. You know, that was a thing. How did that make you feel when you watched things like The Longest Day? Oh, again, that, that's an interesting film. I mean, they threw a lot of money at that. But um, the characters, uh, Robert Mitchum and, and other people, I think they did a pretty good job because they had to flit around from place to place um, and show these scenes. And I think it caught the act. You know, it must have been very much... Like that sort of thing. I can't really imagine. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Normandy. I've been on the you know beaches to have a look at them, but you know they're rather different now to what they would have been then. But for young men, you know, sort of having to do what they do, you know, I did feel you know quite bad about it. But I did enjoy the film. I got to be honest. Longest day. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very well um, laid out with some great performances. Uh, uh, Richard Burton strikes me as that as the yeah, it was it was a pilot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, not. I mean, obviously, you were watching to see who was going to come up, you know. And he's General So and So, and he said, "No, it's not. It's what's his name?" <laughs> because they were all obviously big actors at the time. John Wayne, of course, marching along with his crutch or whatever, you know, they were carrying him, etc. And uh, the, the airport, the airborne brigade, whatever. I mean, it, I, yes, I think that film must really go down like if you wanted to show anybody what that particular period was you know if nobody had ever seen it i think that's pretty good pretty good really and then you've got another film on that subject like saving private ryan yeah i've never seen that you know i've heard the music but i've never actually seen it it must have come at a time when one of the children was there you know yeah but um no i never saw that but i hear the music and you think saving private ryan uh, because I think they brought in a law, I think, in America, which said that, you know, if you're, you couldn't have more than two of your children sent, if you had a big family, you couldn't send them all in the army. You know, they had to yep. stop doing that because otherwise, you know, the whole family would have been wiped out. So I think that might have been part of it. 
But uh, that was another sort of social matter, I suppose. No, it came out of the First World War when an entire family were killed. Yeah. So that's when they, they brought it all in. But Ryan's an interesting experience. It, it's a shattering first 20 minutes. Longest day, as you say, is much more sort of factual in the way. Yeah. yeah. It gives you a sort of a, a historical background and what was happening, who to whom and why. My dad was in the First World War, so I still have an, an interest in the military side because dad... Well, just briefly, Dad was 14 when he left school, a poor school in London, and joined the uh, 2nd Worcestershire Regiment. And then he um, went to, sent to India at 15. So he served in India for three years, came back, and then was just after that, the, the First World War started, and he went across with the, what was called the BEF, the British Expeditionary Force. And off he went at the age of tw- uh, 20 at that stage. And he was four years in France and Belgium. But wow. Dad never talked about it, and I think this is true of lots of people. You know, they see a film and they just never, never talked about it to their family. Yeah, and that's the strange thing. You know, the terrible things that happen, and that's what in 1917 struck me. You know, it was a bit too clinical. Yeah, yeah, and it's a super film, well made, but as it were, I always felt there was something lacking, and it was the the blood and guts. You know. And and yet in the 1950s, it was wall-to-wall British war films, and American as well. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Quite right. I mean, we, we were trying to sort of show how good we were. I mean, everything we did. Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai was interesting. Yes. I liked that one. Again, he did some wonderful films, didn't he? David um, Lean, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of it was there, but you had to sort of peer through it and see what the real situation was. But my uncle uh, was a Marine, and he was on board um, the Repulse, a, a battleship out in the in the uh, Japan Sea, and they were bombed by the Japanese. And the Prince of Wales and Repulse both got sunk, uh, torpedoed and sunk, because there was no air cover. They had no air, uh, aircraft carriers out there. And so they were all brought into Singapore, the survivors. And, of course, within a couple of weeks, the Japanese had, conquered Singapore, so he became a prisoner of war for three and a half years, my uncle. So he didn't really, you know, get on too well with the Japanese. He was a very nice man, but we didn't, we wouldn't have talked about that, you know. No. But uh, that's another thing. So the reality of it is slightly different to what the cinema is, but the cinema has got a thing to sell, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, for some people, recreating those experiences was... Uh, One way of working it through, I suppose. Well, yes. Well, I could talk to you all day, but uh, I think we've... I am a rambler, you see. No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, we started on the 50s. We've covered pretty much the history of cinema from the 50s uh, onwards. So uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I think certainly for for our listeners, that's given them a feeling of what it was like to go to the cinema then, what sort of films you'd see. Um, I think that's brilliant. And... Thank you very much for sharing your memories with us and our audience. I mean, well, thank you. As I say, it's a bit off beam in places. But, no, no, um, not know, at all. Not at all. But when you get to a certain age, you know that the world has changed so much and you, your memory does dim a bit, of course, you know, the finality of it and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I did enjoy the cinema because the cinema it was a window on the world which we normal people in this country would never have seen and so we have that beautiful sort of memory and uh it's, it still sticks i can't always put dates and times to it 
But uh, we know we've had that memory and people were good enough to be able to do it. Ah, that's that's fantastic. Tony, it's been an honour and a pleasure talking to you. Thank, thank you, you very much, well, Tony. That's fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for listening and uh, you know, thank you very much.